0: Well, hey there, it's Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our Sermon Podcast. Now, over the last few episodes, we've been exploring how we can face the darkness in our world and in our lives by taking a closer look at how the people of Israel came out of the darkness of their slavery in Egypt. Well, in this episode's sermon, we're going to change our focus a little. Instead of focusing in on how the people of Israel faced their darkness, we're going to start talking about how God overcame that darkness. And we're going to start by digging deeper into the ten plagues that are recorded in the book of Exodus. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So a few weeks ago, in the aftermath of the mass shootings in Gilroy, California, in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio... We started into a series of sermons where we've been talking about the darkness in the world all around us. And I've admitted from the very beginning of this series that sometimes it feels like our world is just filled with problems that are too big for us to solve. And of course that goes beyond the problems that we have with gun violence from terrorism to sex trafficking to systemic racism to illegal immigration to climate change and child poverty and the opioid epidemic, sometimes it feels like our world is filled with problems that are too big to solve. Just how it feels sometimes. So what are we supposed to do about all of these problems that feel like they're too big for us to solve? What are we supposed to do about all of the darkness this world around us are we just supposed to throw our hands up in the air and say there's nothing that can be done about them are we supposed to to just give up and resign ourselves to living in a world that is filled with all of these problems are we just supposed to accept that darkness is part of the world we live in and there's nothing that can be done about it well that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks Over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we've been exploring the story of the people of Israel. And we've been talking about the way that they made their way out of one of the darkest periods in the history of their nation. A time when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And we've seen, over the last few weeks, how the Israelites faced that darkness. We've seen what they did in the face of all of the problems that they experienced. And along the way, we've learned We've learned some things that we can do to help us face the darkness in our world and in our lives, too. But this morning, we want to shift gears a little bit. And we want to shift gears this morning because the book of Exodus isn't just about how the people of Israel face the darkness of their slavery. The book of Exodus also tells us about how God, how God worked to defeat all of the darkness uh, of the Israelite slavery once and for all. So we're actually going to spend the next few weeks together talking about how God worked to defeat the darkness of slavery in the Israelites lives and we're going to see how God is still at work bringing it into the darkness that we face too. So this morning I want to spend our time together taking a closer look at one thing that God does to bring an end to the slavery that the Israelites were facing and if you're at all familiar with the story of Exodus, or if you did your weekly Bible reading with us this morning, or at the very least, if you have ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments, then you know a little something about how God worked to bring an end to the darkness of slavery that the Israelites were facing. And the, and the one thing that you probably are aware of, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, if you did the Bible reading, if you've seen The Ten Commandments, it, it's that God sends a series of plagues on Egypt until the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, finally agrees, and sticks to his word, that he's going to let God's people go. But this morning, I want to show you that there's more than meets the eye to this story when it comes to all of these plagues that the people of Egypt experience. And we, we're going to jump right into it this morning. We're going to start talking about the very first plague. So go ahead and grab your Bible with me and turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, and as you're finding it, I just want to point out that before this passage, before this first plague is sent upon the Egyptians, before this happens, Moses and Moses' brother Aaron, they have already gone to the Pharaoh. They've gone to Egypt's king, and they have asked the Pharaoh to let... God's people, the Israelites, go. But before this happens, the Pharaoh has refused. The Pharaoh has had his chance, but he has refused to let the people of Israel go. So in Exodus chapter 7, we're going to see what happens next. And we're going to start reading together in verse 14. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh is stubborn. Remember what I just told you, Pharaoh had his chance to let the people go, but he didn't. It says, Pharaoh is stubborn, he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he is out to the water. Make sure that you stand at the bank of the Nile River, so that you will run into him. Bring along the shepherd's rod that you turned into a snake, and say to Pharaoh, The Lord, the Hebrews God, has sent me to you with this message let my people go so that they can worship me in the desert. Up to now, you still haven't listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. I am now going to hit the water of the Nile River with the rod in my hand and it will turn into blood. Then the fish in it are going to die. The Nile will stink. And the Egyptians won't be able to drink water from the Nile at all. So, Inside of this first plague, we're told that God turns the water of the Nile River into blood. And there's absolutely no way this morning that I can stand up here and explain to you just how important the Nile River was to the Egyptian people. There's no way I can do it because the Nile River for them was more than just a river. It's more than like the Ohio River that's flowing down one edge of Jefferson County. The Nile River was more than just a river for them. It was more than just the source of life for all of Egypt. So if if anything happened to the Nile River, it was a big deal. It was a big deal if anything happened to the Nile River. So when God turns the water of the Nile River into blood, it's a very big deal. But it's not just a big deal because of what the Nile River meant to the people of Egypt. Let me explain a little bit more here. So, of course, the Nile's a big deal. It's, it's the primary source of water. It's where everybody in Egypt goes when they need something to drink. It's what they, what they use to, to water their crops and to take care of their flocks and all of that sort of stuff. So it's important, but there's deeper meaning here. Because, obviously, this goes without saying, but our world has changed a whole lot since the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. But because the world has changed so much, it's easy for us to miss out on something inside of this story that's laying just below the surface that was a major part of the Egyptian culture 5,000 years ago that we don't talk about anymore today. And that's the fact that the Egyptian people had their own gods. The Egyptian people had their own gods. The Egyptians were what we call polytheistic. They had multiple gods, and they had these multiple gods that they believed controlled multiple areas and controlled everything inside of their nation. One of their gods was a god named Hapi. And Hapi was the god of the Nile River. So the people of Egypt, they believed that this god, that Hapi, was in complete control of everything that went on inside of the Nile River. But inside of this story, there is another god. And not just any other god, this is the god of another people altogether. A people who are not from Egypt, a God who should have no control over Egypt at all. And this God says to the people of Egypt that he is going to take control over the Nile River, that he is going to turn it into blood. And then he actually does it. Now, that alone should have been enough to prove to Pharaoh that the God of the Israelites was not a God to be messed with. When God turned the Nile River into blood, it was a sign to the entire world that the God of the Israelites was not only greater than the Nile River itself, able to control the water molecules and turn them into something different, but God was also greater than the gods of the Egyptians, greater than the God that the Egyptians believed controlled that river. But this act alone, turning the Nile to blood, wasn't enough to convince the Pharaoh to let God's people go. So God sends a second plague. And that plague is found um, in Exodus chapter 8. So let's take a quick look at what happens next. Exodus chapter 8, we'll start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is after the Nile River didn't work, it says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, then I will send a plague of frogs over your whole country. The Nile will overflow with frogs. They'll get into your palace, into your bedroom, onto your bed, into your officials' houses, and among all your people, and even into your ovens and into your bread pans. The frogs will crawl up on you, your people and all of your officials. Okay, so God starts by turning the Nile River into blood. When that doesn't work, God says he is going to send frogs to cover all of Egypt from the Pharaoh's own bedroom and his own bedsheets, all the way down to the bread pans that everybody would have had inside of their homes. And God does this because the Egyptians have another goddess, this time a fertility goddess named Heket that is represented by a frog. So God not only sends frogs into the land of, of Egypt, but he also causes them to multiply and to reproduce because Heket is a fertility goddess. So that when God does this, that they will cover every surface in the entire empire, showing to Pharaoh and all of Egypt and all of the world that the God of the Israelites is not only greater than than the gods of Egypt, he's also greater than fertility, greater than reproduction, greater than the frogs. But Pharaoh still doesn't listen to God. He still doesn't get the point. So there's a third plague, and this plague is talked about in Exodus chapter 8, verse 16. And here's what it says It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron to stretch out your shepherd's rod and to hit the land's dirt so that lice appear in the whole land of Egypt. Okay, now at this point in the sermon, you're probably starting to pick up on a pattern, right? In the first plague, God turns the Nile River into blood because the Egyptians have a god who is supposed to be in control of the Nile River. In the second plague, God sends an infestation of frogs because the Egyptians have a goddess who looks like a frog. So let's see if you can guess why God, what He does, does what He does in this third plague. In the third plague, God tells Moses to strike the dirt to send lice throughout all of Egypt, and God does this because the Egyptians have a god of Lice? Lice? They don't have a God of lice? Who has a God of lice? That's disgusting. Nobody wants to have a God of lice. But the Egyptians, they have a God of earth named Geb. This is the God of the earth, the God of the dirt. So when God tells Moses to strike the dirt to send forth the lice, God is doing this to prove that not only is, is the God of Israel greater than the gods of Egypt, but God is greater than the very dirt. Beneath their feet. But like I said, there's a pattern here. And the Pharaoh again refuses to let the people of Israel go, so God sends another plague, And this time God sends a swarm of flies because the Egyptians have a God named Capri who looked like a fly. But that still isn't enough to convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go, so God sends another plague. And this time, God sends a deadly disease that will inflict all of the livestock in all of Egypt, from the horses to the donkeys to the camel to the cows. And God does this because the Egyptians have a goddess named Hathor who is represented by a cow. But that still isn't enough for Pharaoh to be convinced to let God's people go, so God has to send another plague. And now, God is ready to get very personal with the people of Egypt. And this time, God sends a plague that will cause blisters and boils to break out on all of the Egyptians and their animals. And God does this because the Egyptians have a goddess of medicine named Isis, who is supposed to be the goddess of healing, the goddess that can protect them and cure any and all of their diseases, but nothing can bring an end to these boils and blisters besides... The God of Israel. Now, at this point in the story, in the book of Exodus, we're six plagues in, okay? God has turned the Nile River into blood. He has infested the land of Egypt with frogs and flies and lice. He's caused the livestock there to get sick and die. And now he has inflicted the Egyptians with boils and blisters that popped up all over them. And somehow all of this still isn't enough to convince the Pharaoh that God, the God of the Israelites, is greater than all of Egypt, greater than everything in the world. So Pharaoh still refuses to let the people of Israel go. So next, God is going to send in another plague, and this time it is a plague of hail. And we're not talking about any old hail in this story. God sends hail that is heavier than anything that has ever fallen on Egypt before. And at this point, Egypt is an empire that has been around for thousands, thousands of years. And God sends this hail that is heavier than anything that they have experienced before to show that God is greater than the Egyptian goddess who controls the sky. A god named Nut. And when that doesn't convince the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, God sends an infestation of locusts to fill every house in Egypt. And he does this to prove that God is greater than the Egyptian God named Seth, who is supposed to rule over storms and every type of disaster. And when that doesn't work, God sends darkness over the entire land. And God sends darkness over the entire land to prove that God is greater than one of the greatest gods in all of Egypt. The God who is in control of the sun, the God called Ra. And then when that doesn't work, God sends a final plague on Egypt. The death of the firstborn son. And when God sends this plague, Again, God shows that he is greater, than one of the greatest gods that the Egyptians worship, the Egyptian god of the afterlife, of the underworld, of death itself, the Egyptian god, Anubis. And then, after all of these things, from the Nile turning to blood, to the infestations, to the hail that falls, to the death of the firstborn son, after all of these things happen, Pharaoh finally decides to let the people of Israel go. But as you're going to hear a little bit more about next week, as you're reading and as we come together for worship, the Pharaoh doesn't stand by his word very long. The Pharaoh changes his mind even after, he lets the Egyptian, even after he lets the Israelite people go. And the Pharaoh decides that he is going to chase after the Israelites to bring them back into captivity inside of the land of Egypt again. So one more time, God has to step in and prove that God is greater than the greatest God in all of Egypt. And the greatest God in all of Egypt is the Pharaoh himself. So one by one, throughout the story, the God of Israel, the God we worship, our God, humiliates the gods of Egypt. God humiliates the gods of Egypt, the gods that were supposed to be in control of everything, from the Nile River to the dirt to the sky to the sun to death itself. God humiliates all of them by showing he's the one who's really in control of it. And one by one, the God of Israel, our uh, our God, Shows that he is greater. He is greater than all of the gods of Egypt. And one by one, the God of Israel, our God, proves in this story that there is nothing bigger than God. There is nothing bigger than our God. And that includes the darkness that the people of Israel face as they are trying to escape the slavery that they're trapped in. Because if God is big enough to defeat all of the gods of Egypt and prove his dominion over everything there is, including the Pharaoh himself, then God is big enough to bring an end to the slavery that the Israelites have been experiencing. And, of course, that's exactly what God does. God brings an end to Israel's slavery. God brings them out of the darkness that they've been living in for centuries. And that's the same thing that God is doing with the darkness in our world and in our lives today. God is at work right now in this world and in our lives to bring an end to the darkness that we see around us and the darkness that we experience for ourselves God is working to bring us out of this darkness and God is working to bring us in to the light of a new day. But I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know that there are times when the problems of this world still seem like they are just too big for us to solve. I know that there are times when the stories of gun violence and terrorism and sex trafficking and systemic racism and illegal immigration and climate change and child poverty and the opioid epidemic and so much more seem like they are just too big for us to solve. But if God, if God is big enough to bring the Israelites out of the darkness of their slavery, then God is big enough to bring us out of our darkness. If God is big enough to bring the people of Israel out of their slavery, then God is big enough to bring us out of the darkness that we face too. So when the problems of the world start feeling like they're too big for you to handle, too big for you to solve, too big for you to deal with on your own, you know what? It's okay. It's okay for the problems of the world to seem too big for you to face because you don't have to face them on your own. It's okay if the problems of the world seem too big to solve because you don't have to solve them on your own. It's okay if you don't know how to overcome the darkness because you don't have to overcome the darkness on your own. And you don't have to do that because God is the one at work. God is the one who is doing everything that needs to be done to bring an end to the darkness in our world today. God is the one who is working to bring all of us into the light. So trust God. Trust God. Because God is bigger than any darkness. God is bigger than any darkness you can ever face. God is bigger. God is at work. So trust in God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that we've had to be in this place to explore these stories of the plagues that fell on Egypt. We thank you for what we learn from them and see in them, God, that story by story, event by event, that you are proving that you are the one true God, that you are a God that is greater than anything, any other gods that we try to put before you, any anything in this earth that we think is greater than you. God, you are bigger. So let us trust in you. Let us trust that you, our big God, our great God, that you are at work in this world, that you are solving the problems we face, that you are bringing a light into our darkness. Let us trust you, follow you, remain committed to you until your light shines. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast, Uh, and I hope that you've been reminded through this episode that God is bigger than any darkness that we can face, and that God is going to lead you out of whatever darkness you face. Now, in our next episode, we're going to see how God does that, how God leads you out of the darkness, and we'll do that by exploring the story of Israel's journey out of Egypt to the Red Sea. Now, that episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I just want to remind you that we are not only supposed to be hearers of the word, we're also supposed to be doers of it. So no matter what's going on in your life right now, I want you to trust that God is big enough to take care of it. And we'll see you back here for another episode next Tuesday.